This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth with my Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue the book of Exodus. We are picking up at Exodus chapter 13, verses 17. So just kind of a recap of last week. One of the things that we have to continue to remember is that they're establishing rituals of what it is that they do as a Hebrew faith. Um, the, remember, the, the Hebrew name is something that was given to them. It's not something that they came up with themselves, right? Somebody else called them this. Then, then the idea of being Jews also becomes something that was given to them, not something that they came up with themselves. They would call themselves followers or children of Abraham, you know, like that. That would be a, a safer statement. So why does that matter? Well, as the culture continues to grow, uh, even in, in bondage in Egypt, the there has to be a distinction of what it is that they do differently than they did before. And they've got to talk about rituals and faith practices. <clears throat> and this is where I'm going to just sidebar for just a second, because when we get into the Pharaoh language, everything changes. And I, and I didn't top this off last week. And I want to make sure I do that. One of the things anthropologically about a culture that distinguishes it from others is this their ideas of worship. It's, it's an extremely important thing. Um, so when you look at a, a, a society and you start looking at their structures, as, so let's just use the Aztecs, for example. The Aztecs, we know that they existed. We have bits and pieces of their structures, right? We know their buildings. We have a, a language that has been lost, but we've slowly started to pick pieces up together based off of... Um, it's a long process, but we've started to kind of figure out some of their hieroglyphs, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, we've created an understanding that they had a societal structure, that they created towns, and they've created roads, and they've created uh, a farming industry, which was fascinating, you know, if you really get into it. But then what anthropologists do is, is they say, okay, so now we've got to that point. They've got a structure. They've got a, a, a process of political a politics, right? There's a polis involved. There's a king. There's a, a way of people of a, creating a hierarchy, a caste system. And then what you do as an anthropologist is you start to look at, well, okay, so now what were their deities? That's when you become a, a, a civilized culture is what a lot of anthropologists would say. Once you've gotten to that point, it's usually backwards, right? We say, well, they worshiped this and this is how they did it. Well, the Hebrew culture is extremely different in that sense. So we've, we've, we're taking a, a backwards approach to them because we have so much written about them. And, and, and the fascinating thing for people like myself that are really focused in on how do we worship, we start to go, well, how, is it, how did they get to the point where they created these festivals that they don't practice, but they talk about? How is it that they talk about Passover, but where, where did that actually come from? In almost 85% of all cultures, there is a story that leads up to why it is the way that they worship. I mean, for us, we have our own story. We talk about communion. What, what leads us up to communion? Death, Jesus' death and resurrection. You know, the, all of those things lead up to it. That's our narrative. So when we look at this passage of scripture, their narrative on what it means for worship uh, is is big. I mean, it's huge. It's not just for uh, 
this little group of people in Egypt, it is for everyone there and beyond. So from that point on, everyone that calls themselves a follower of God or as a child of Abraham, see how I said I get back to that, that person will worship a certain way. And this gives them their DNA. So for last night's the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, our DNA is, is that we don't make the communion table an altar, right? We, we use sacrificial language. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, but Jesus is not flayed out on top of the communion table and burnt. That's a Hebrew culture thing. Does that make sense? So then we ended with the first part of that story for them, which is the most important story for them, which is Passover. Passover. This is when God's presence revealed itself to them in such a way that they knew all of a sudden their brains woke up and they're back into the full chesed with God. And, and if you remember that big diamond that we talk about, the theodicy of the Hebrew Bible, they're now back in chesed with God and they're, 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 they have not fallen out of grace yet. They're back in the full grace and comfort of God's will through this story. And then we pick up where we left off last week here with the story of Pharaoh letting them go. If we're free, now we have to talk about how does that work? And it gets, and, and, and the reason I'm making a big deal out of it is here's all this serious stuff that we talked about last week. And now we go back to the, for lack of a better phrase, the fantastic part of the story. Like if I was, I always joke about this with comic books, right? You have to have a hero, you have to have an origin story, and then you have to have an arch villain. You just, you just have to, right? The Pharaoh here, this is, is the arch villain. So now we've established their superpowers. Now we're going to establish how God is even above all of that, right? Like, so here's these human beings being led by God hearing the voice of God now, they're doing things that they're supposed to do until they mess up and go back and then, and then they start all over again. Would this be where they become the chosen people of God as opposed to Abraham being the chosen one? Right. So this, I mean, this is the transition, right? So that's, I'm so glad you have that. It's like, this is a, this is a transition moment. It's not just that they're children of Abraham, but now this race of people that we're children of Abraham are now going to be something different. That they've already been calling themselves Israelites because that's the name of Jacob, right? So they're followers of now of Israel, aka Jacob, who is a child of Abraham. So, but now they're transitioning into something different, which is why their story changes. Well, they've been kind of worshiping their father's God. Right, I mean. their father's God. Now it's their God. And so worship changes. All of a sudden, it's like, you think this would be, it wouldn't be rocket science, but so much, so many times we look at the story and we just go, ooh, let's get to the good parts, the meaty parts, right? The Pharaoh and parting of the, the Sea of Reeds, which we're going to talk about. We're going to get to these things and all, all of a sudden it's like, ooh, let's talk about the good parts, but we, we forget all of that. This is, we're, we're not, it's not our father's God now, it's, it's ours. And we're seeing it. Imagine what that would be like for us. Like we talk about it all the time, but imagine what it would be like to see our, our parents' God all of a sudden right there. And it, it's speaking to us as, as if it's always known us. Not because of 
I, I struggle with this a lot. I'm a fifth generation disciples of Christ pastor, right? It, I can't go anywhere in the country where someone doesn't know my family. And I mean, I know that sounds weird, but it's true. So I can't go to East Coast without someone saying, oh, you're Gene and Betty Curtis's grandson. I can't go anywhere in Kansas, Oklahoma, or Texas without someone saying, you're Gary Denny Bell's son, or Paula and Dean Bell's uh, grandson. Like, I can't, I can't go anywhere. It was weird to me that when all of a sudden people started to say to my mom and dad, oh, you're Josh's parents. <laughs> like, it was all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, we've never been referred to that way. You know, like, it's, it's a whole... It's, it's that kind of idea. Here's the generations being passed on. Now it's it's our world. I'm a little excited about today, if you can't tell. All right. Any other questions, comments? Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. Now, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near for God said, the people may have a change of heart when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people roundabout by the way of the wilderness at the Sea of Reeds. Is that what yours all says? No, ours says the Red Sea, but in the footnote it says the Sea of Reeds. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. We're going to come back to that conversation. So just keep that in your in your mind for right now. Uh, now the Israelites went up and. Armed, went up armed. Is that what yours says? Ready for battle. Ready for battle. Okay. One says in orderly ranks. In orderly ranks. So now we have that's an awesome translation. Mine uh, says armed for battle. Armed for battle. So so we have armed, that, so they're ready to go. Remember the first part about this, right? They ate the food. They ate the food. With their shoes on and their staff in their hand and something else in haste in haste. in haste so we're in a hurry we don't need to worry about what's going to happen because god's going to provide but what do the israelites do they arm themselves for battle as they're leaving egypt even though they've already been told a hundred times don't worry we got you <laughs> out of the land of egypt uh moses took with them the bones of joseph oh here we go ladies and gentlemen now we've got the story back again who had exacted an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will be sure to take notice of you. Then you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Didn't he also take the bones of his brothers? Well, supposedly. Joseph did, right? He has all of his family. Yeah. And the Talmud specifically talks about this, that now we've got to have this connection all the way back to Joseph, who's been dead for 400 years, right? Like that's the part that's kind of fascinating. <clears throat> So they set out from Succoth and encamped at Etham, at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to guide them along the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and night and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from, from before the people. So <clears throat> just want to make sure I read this correctly. Uh, there is a specific... Yeah, okay. So in verse 18, we hear the part of the Sea of Reeds. Now, in my commentary, it's kind of awesome, but the word there is Yam Su, which is uh, an unidentified body of water. Most of the scholars believe that it is in the Gulf of Suez and the Mediterranean by the Suez Canal. 
Uh, and then the scholars say it's a branch of the Red Sea, which is why this is such a big deal. Now, remember, the culture is all about the story. So if you think of the Red Sea as the base of the tree, right, or the root, and then the branches of it go out like this, it makes sense. Then you say it's the Sea of Reeds. It's not the Red Sea. It's the Sea of Reeds because each of these branches, like the Suez Canal, which was not there at the time, but it would have been a tributary at the time, then becomes a, a reed to the root of the Red Sea. You see how cool that is? I thought they meant reeds grew there. And there was the other aspect of this. So it's another geographical thing so that the authors are wanting you to know there must be reeds, which then says it's fertile. We can get fish. We can get ourselves taken care of. So it's, it's a brilliant writing technique right there. But our whole lives, we've just heard the Red Sea, mm-hmm. right? The story's cooler than that. I mean, it's it's not just the Red Sea. It's, it's the Sea of Reeds. Or in some of your translations, specifically the Septuagint translations, because by this point, they had lost that. We didn't, we didn't have a study of archaeology or anthropology at that time, right? So the Septuagint is being put together. They're trying to get it out as quickly as possible. And I don't mean to be rude. It's just that was their goal. Let's get this translated, get a book together that people can use or books. Because remember, it wasn't put together as your Bible until 1429. So we got a long time before that happens. <laughs> so, so these Septuagint writers, which were brilliant in every, every aspect, they're going to just say Red Sea. But if you go back today, there's this beautiful conversation. Hey, we actually have today. We can go back and go, that's where they're talking about. That's kind of awesome. Now we have a, we have a point of location. Did we find any chariots? We found three, like we've talked about, right? We found three chariots on the edge of the Sea of Reeds. So that's cool. And there's something that must have been in the tolerance that some of the bodies forced up. On the shore. shore. That's right. Talmud. Yeah. And remember, it's an after the fact. Talmud is always about the Midrash. Well, what happened to the bodies? Well, they washed up on shore. You see, it's the, it's the beauty of the Talmud. The ancient text, they just want you to know they died, which we're going to read <laughs> next. <clears throat> the Talmud wants you to know more. So let's keep going, unless you have questions. Well, when it talks about the pillar of fire and, oh, yeah, yeah. and the clouds of the day. Now, the Talmud says that was to protect them so that nobody could see them. Is that right? Well, that is a beautiful Talmudic understanding. <laughs> this why, why a pillar of cloud, a pillar of smoke, right? Well, the best way to hide it, your, uh, yourself is by smoke. They can't see you. They don't know the actual number of people because of the smoke. The ancient writers, they just wanted you to see the visual part. Right, they the the, the pre Talmudic writers were saying, "What's the best thing I can see from a distance? Smoke. What's the best thing I can see at night from a distance? Fire." So we'll see when they talk about that. When they talk about the clouds, I think it's clouds in the sky. Yeah, I. And this is this is the ancient texts. The word is cloud, and, and so. I, it's weird because you have a pillar of uh, of smoke, right? That's what they said, but it's the words like it could be translated cloud very easily. 
So it's, it's, a, it's a hard translation. The hope is the ancient writers and the Talmudic writers were wanting you to understand that God was providing them a safe path from Egypt, no matter what happened. Uh, so as long as they had that safe path, life was good. But who's leading them? God, not Pharaoh, not Moses, right? God. Now they're establishing this is our God. It goes back to what Robert said. Any other questions? I never paid attention to the fact that it says the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. Mm -hmm. a pillar of mm -hmm. Not on earth. Right? That's, that's a big distinction, but the Lord went ahead of them. I will guide you out of this. You know, kind of like that old throwback to the Genesis. They heard God walking through the garden. Right? Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden, here's God can, God can be back on earth, but God can't be in human form or physical form for us to see, but God can do it in this way. Beautiful. Uh, Levitical priest understanding. Let's keep going unless you have any more questions, comments. So then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp before, I never can say this name right, but it's between Migdal, which you all should know. Migdal is a name that sounds familiar. It's translated also as Magdala later on in the New oh. Testament. Uh, which is weird that they told you to do that because it's nowhere near Egypt, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, and the sea before Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, there are astray in the land, the wilderness is close on them. Then I will stiffen Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Well, that was nice of you. That I may gain glory through Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And the king of Egypt, now his name has changed, was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his courtiers had a change of heart about the people and said, what is this we have done? Releasing Israel from our service, he ordered his chariot and took his men. He took 600 of his picked chariots and the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers and all of them. The Lord stiffened the heart of Pharaoh's king of Egypt and he gave chase to the Israelites. As the Israelites were departing defiantly, uh, with uh, the Egyptians gave chase to them, and all the chariot horses of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his warriors overtook them and camped by the sea near Pihahiroth, whatever, before Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh, as Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites caught sight of the Egyptians advancing upon them. Well, it'd be kind of hard to miss 600 and some odd chariots coming behind you over desert. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, it's, with horses. With horses. Yeah. Mm, horses. They caught sight of them, greatly frightened. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, was it for want of graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? taking us out of Egypt. Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt, saying, let us be, and we will serve the Egyptians, for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But they didn't say that. They didn't say that. <laughs> Do you remember? Moses and Aaron had the conversation. The elders said, sure, let's go. And we all, we did it in haste. <laughs> Put on your shoes. And they're armed and they're 
massive compared to the Egyptians coming. Right. I mean, there what was six hundred thousand or something like that. Yeah, there were six hundred thousand Israelites walking through the wilderness, and they're afraid of six hundred chariots, and they're armed. You see how funny this story is, but it's not the story we tell in Sunday school. The story we tell in Sunday school is they left just as fast as they could, and the pictures are always of them downtrodden and scared, and you know, and all this stuff. And here's six hundred thousand of them are scared of six hundred chariot riders i mean come on this is it's on purpose to be weird and fantastical one quick question uh-huh. uh, opposite bell siphon yeah isn't bell one of the gods that they are it's also and that's another thing historically a lot of those places are named after gods so um, bell is a very popular name it would have been in the same category as set so Set, you know, was this Egyptian god. It was all snakes and all this ritual. So Baal was something else everybody knew. And he was a what? Cat cow. I was yeah. going to say, Golden I, I don't want to get ahead of things here. No. But that, that's what I was asking if right. this is the same. <clears throat> so the place that they're going is just, these people obviously, obviously worship this golden calf. So it's a historical thing that we've lost and don't know exactly where that came from. But that's where that comes from. It's opposite that other place. It's opposite of the uh, which I never can say correctly. I think you're doing great. It's fantastic. I'll argue with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hard word. I worked hard, I worked hard on that one. For me, you look correct. That's right. Well, so here it is. You've got them arguing about we would rather serve Egypt. Remember, the whole we just started the whole conversation about listening to God, providing them the way out of Egypt. Remember I said, they're going to be in good graces for just a bit. And here they are, they're out in the wilderness, and they supposedly had told Moses and Aaron, we should just continue to serve and be slaves. And then Moses says, in what we're at, verse 13, so the people have no fear, stand by and witness the deliverance which the Lord Elohim here will today uh, you will, uh, sorry, will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will battle for you. You hold your peace. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And you lift up your rod and hold out your arm over the sea and split it so that the Israelites may march into the sea on dry ground. And I will stiffen the hearts of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his warriors, his chariots, and his horsemen. Let the Egyptians know that I am Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The angel of God, who had been going ahead of them, of the Israelite army, listen to that language now, now moved and followed behind it, and a pillar of cloud shifted from in front of them and took a place behind them. You see how the Talmud used that, Billy? Now it's covering them. And it came between the army of the Egyptians and the army of Israel. Thus there was the cloud with the darkness. Now you've got clouds. And it cast a spell upon, is that what you says? Swinger should say curse. The darkness to the one side. So it says, thus there was the cloud of darkness, and it cast a spell upon the night so that one could not come near the overall through the night, near the other all through the night. Is that what you had? 
Did you say spell, curse? No. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Yeah. It's nothing about a curse in there. Yeah. Septuagint doesn't like that word. <laughs> Took it yeah. out. Took, doesn't like the word curse, doesn't like spell. It sounds too mystical. Uh, so they took it out. So the Jewish Public Translation, Translation Society, I mean, it's literally what it says in, in Hebrew right there, put that back in. <laughs> because how else do you define this? Right? This is a fantastical moment. We don't, we don't like using that language. But remember, they're not, they're, they're primitive. It's, it's not, it's not an established group of people. So how else would you describe this? Back then, that's what's going on. What Moses did was casting spells in front of, that's the words that we read, you remember? And that then the Hebrew translation, he was casting spells in front of the other ones and proving that he was right and they were wrong. Right. Was the snakes. The I snakes, mean. throws the rod down the snake. It, it, for us, the language messes us up. So we go, oh my gosh, it's not Harry Potter. Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, we, so they just the Septuagint again, does a great thing, takes it out, keep out the confusion. Uh, so then Moses held out his arm over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind all that night, and then turned the sea into dry ground. Now in the Talmud, it even talks of, if I remember, it might be in the Mishnah, it even describes the ground as, as being almost as bone, as dry as bones. Like, I think is what it says in one of those. Moses is doing this too. And Moses is doing this. Um, and then remember, every time you see Moses, Aaron's the one that has to speak. But Moses is the one that does these things. So this is a physical act. Ergo, Moses is doing it. The waters were split, and the Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians came in pursuit after them into the sea of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the Egyptian army from a pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He locked the wheels, as that what your says, or took off the wheels? Jammed. Jammed. The wheels of their chariots so that they move forward with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites. You guys remember this story? For the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Hold out your arm over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses held out his arm over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal state. And the Egyptian fled. Uh, and the Egyptians fled at its approach, but the Lord hurled the Egyptians into the sea. The waters turned back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, Pharaoh's entire army that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites had marched through the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord delivered Israel that day from the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. See, now that's where the Talmud put them in earlier, later, actually puts them in early. And when Israel saw the wondrous power which the Lord had wielded against the Egyptians, the people feared, remember this is not a scary fear, but worshiping fear, the Lord, and they had faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. Now my Hebrew Bible professor would argue, I don't know if she'd argue, but she probably would, that this kind of fear isn't bad, but it's also a fear. Right? What kind of God 
has the ability, or deity has the ability of, to do what we just read in one chapter. Well, you might hear something, but you also respect it. Right. That's where I, I go with it. I, I think there's a, he goes both ways. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. It's kind of like your parents. Would you, I don't know that you'd say you, you feared your parents, but maybe you feared if you, you did, did something wrong, you did but you knew it. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? But I mean, you know, to a certain extent, you feared your parents, but it was like you say, it was a, a respectful fear. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that you, what would happen, the consequences of. Well, by this time, they would have to know if he's not happy, then bad things might happen. Well, I mean, after I mean, the plagues, you'd think that they'd figure that out. Uh, but no, they have to go through the wilderness and go through a flipping ocean to figure out that God is still going to protect them. And they still questioned it, you know, like over and over again. They questioned, questioned, questioned. Seems like they were unhappy more than they were happy. Yeah. Does that sound <laughs> familiar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a fascinating part of the story. Now, is that how you remember reading it in Sunday school? And mostly, but well, if you had asked me before we read this, I would have just said that that you know Egyptians bad, mm-hmm. Jews good. <laughs> God take took care of them. Mm-hmm. I mean. That water broke. Nice saw that in that movie. <laughs> I would not have remembered at all that God was the one that kept making Pharaoh's heart hard. I mean, even all the way to the end. And in the Talmud, it goes. It talks about how they the Israelites divided up into four groups, and they were all figuring out a different way to handle the Egyptians. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, midrashic texts that talk about well, especially when we get into the wilderness. You know, they're all one right now. They they haven't started to break themselves back up into tribes yet. We get into the book of Numbers, and that's where you start to see that, which is annoying. I can't, I just can't read it. But <clears throat> there's some people that really dig it, and it's fun. But I just I just can't. Um, that's fine. But- Talmud has to acknowledge that all the brothers, right, the tribes' bones right. are moving along. Also, well, that's it's Joseph cool. didn't get a tribe, did he? Anyway, no, Joseph know. doesn't get a tribe, but he's going back. His two sons get two. That's right. So one of the things that's fascinating to me, as we're having this conversation specifically with Talmud, and, and this is one of the problems that we have with the New Testament is is the fact that. We don't have any commentary that goes along with it or a retelling of the story as Christians progress, right? All of the New Testament we have was written in the first and second century. Some of them even close to the third century. So even even when you get all those texts, there's nothing that goes back and backs it up. The Hebrew culture, which was fascinating to me, they, they have no problems saying, yeah, but let me tell you the rest of the story, the part that wasn't written. And they've told this story for eons. So, like, here they are. They're talking about it. This, this, this you know, for 3,000 years, and they're like, why don't we have this written down? I don't know. Let's write it down. And they do. 
And so that's where the Talmud comes in. It's the Mishnah, the Mishnah, that this, this later on thinking, we probably should write this down because it's, the ancients just wanted us to get the idea. Now we have, we also have this part. A lot of people will talk about in the Shoah, remember, I don't like the phrase Holocaust because it literally means people burning. Uh, Shoah is, is what the, the Jewish culture specifically has called Holocaust. That's what they prefer to call it. So in the Shoah, the Talmud becomes one of their, their closest allies. Uh, we always talk about, well, the Torah was, it was, the, it was their worship book. The Talmud was their book of action. History. It's history. Look, we remember a time when we were persecuted and, and treated as such. This is, this is that story. And they, the Talmud was extremely important to those that were in Shoah. Um, we, we, we know, that the, but the Torah was the book, right? That's the book that they came in into the synagogues with, but the Talmud was what kept them alive. Like, that's the part I want you to think about. So when we read Torah, we're, we're looking at it and we're going, oh, wow, this is really cool and it's ancient. But for them, it's, it's, it, it gives way and leaning to the Talmud becoming a, a, a real thing. Uh, which I, I love. And now, does that mean I want you to go read the Talmud? If you do, just remember it's another voice of the ancient text. You know, someday maybe we read the Talmud just for, for fun. But, but I would encourage you to look at it like, like Billy and Robert have been doing, just like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, the Talmud says this, and this is what happens. But it's so think Talmud history, Torah worship. Um, so here, here's the the fantastic part of the end of the story. Did you guys catch the part? Did, did, have we gotten to the part where it says the Pharaoh looks back? Uh -huh. We're going to start singing. He's going to sing here in a second, but do you see anything about the Pharaoh surviving? No. I saw it in the movie. In the movie he did. <laughs> oh. But he didn't, did he? No, he does not. <laughs> no. And the and the and the, I'm making a big deal out of this because in the last century, the the movies that are talked about of this story always have Pharaoh surviving at the end of it. Really? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then he looks upon his dead army and goes back to Egypt with his tail between his legs. Yeah. Uh, that's not what's in the ancient text, but I always have to make sure we stay, have that distinction. So in the movies, even. I don't know. I don't remember in Charlton. He was, this wasn't in the Charlton Heston version, was it? Yeah, he's sitting right down there where they all went in, all unhappy because it's, it all comes back towards him. Right. I but mean, it, all the cave in the end of the waters are coming. But does he die? No. That's right. He's, well, well he's, he's up on a little hill. He watches all of his army die. That's right. Is he was Charles? leading them. He was. When he, when they left. Yeah. He was leading them, and he told them he would go before them. Yeah. They were all gifts before they left. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and I was just, I was just thinking in the movie with Charlton Heston. I don't think they had. I thought the Pharaoh survived in that one too. And in the Prince of Egypt, Pharaoh survives in that one too. Because you don't want to see death in movies. Nobody likes that. Somebody's oh gosh, I thought that's all we can say now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But back then, when they made movies, they have to remake it. Have to remake the story. We'll remake it many times. So, uh, it just says Pharaoh's entire army that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Yeah, but it doesn't say that Pharaoh was with them. 
And that's where the earlier it said, well, no, it says Pharaoh's horse horses. Mm -hmm. Like Billy said, he was leading them at the beginning, and then all of a sudden he's kind of written out of the story. The army's gone. That's where they take the liberty to say that Pharaoh must have survived. But I am kind of a cynic there. He, he did. <laughs> well, someone had to survive to go back and tell the people what happened. Yeah, I, I think that kind of story goes without having to tell anybody. I, I think people go, <laughs> hey, we just saw 600 men die, or 6,000, was it 6,000? 600. 600 chariots and every other chariot in Egypt. Boy, he just, he just wiped them out. There was men besides the chariots. That's right. But if they didn't show up, they were, people were wondering. Yeah, somebody's going to talk to tell that story. <laughs> Where'd they go? Damage triangle. It's a weird story, but you know, I, I think it's funny because it's, we've made so many movies and uh, shows about it. It's it's just fascinating. So so let's talk a little bit about chapter fifteen. Uh, it's a it's it's an ancient form of hymn, um, an H Y M N. Um, our commentary, the Jewish Translation Society, will talk, talk about it being a lyrical poem. Um, it is. It's not like an iambic pentameter or anything like that, but it's there is this uh, the way that hymns are at that time were a profession of one's faith that could be put to music or could be spoken in a lyrical way. Um, and so this this whole chapter, I think, if you have all fifteen, yeah. no, it stops. It start, It goes all the way to verse twenty-two. Um, is is this is. This, <coughs> Proclamation. Now remember, this is um, this is how one expresses their faith. My favorite part about this is, is the way that I had to battle my stutter was to learn how to sing. Um, and then here comes Moses singing the song. I think that every time that we sing this, every time we hear this, we always automatically assume that Aaron. Aaron's going to speak him because if Moses speaks, it's actually Aaron. But notice that the author wants you to know that it's not just Moses, it's all of them sing this song at the sea. So uh, I love this. I love this part. It's, uh, but I, I, I got to make sure I explain it a little. So remember how I told you that for me, the book of Exodus is about establishing worship stuff. The, the book that we use in uh, every time they have a worship thing, there's a book like we have what's called a, a, a kiddish or a cottage or uh, then they have different meanings. And so these little books are put together that have bits and pieces of the Torah in it that you're supposed to sing here. It looks just like a book of worship for them. Um, the book that they use for Pesach specifically is called the Haggadah. H a g g a d h. It's probably chadacha. Yeah, chadacha. I don't say that right, but the 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 point is is that it's the way that they worship. So this specific part is, I think, in the beginning of the Haggadah that tells the story of why we're at Passover. So, if you've ever been to a seder feast, for example, the seder feast is following the Haggadah that goes through the whole thing from the menorah to the bitter 
herbs and the maror and all, all of the stuff, all of that, the, the, the lamb shake, everything uh, comes from the Haggadah. So um, where I get frustrated is, is that that's based off of this hymn that we're going to read. The part that struck, I struggle with this is, is that this story is very specific to what just took place, right? So it's very hard and dangerous for us to go, and it can also be dot, 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 right? We have to be careful. This Haggadah part of Pesach was designed later. There are too close of extreme coincidences for us to not recognize Jesus in that story. But for the sake of the study of Exodus, I want to make sure that I'm very clear that this part is specific about to what they just experienced. It's, I would not say that it's a coincidence that Jesus, we tend to believe, was in the midst of his Passover meal as his last supper. Guess what he would be using? The Haggadah. And this hymn would have been sung during that feast. Just saying. But it, in this case, it has nothing to do with that. All right? Okay. So let's hear it. Oh, I love this part. The Moses and the Israelites sang, the song, sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord, uh, this is the the uh, YHWH, we don't have a name for it, so they just use the word Lord. The Lord is my strength and might. He has become my deliverance. What is my God? I will enshrine him uh, or glorify him. The God of my father and I will exalt him. The Lord, the warrior, Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he cast into the sea and the pick of his officers are drowned in the sea of reeds. The deeps covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the foe. In your great triumph, you break your opponents. You send forth your fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your nostrils, there's the ruach, right? The waters piled up and the floods stood straight like a wall. The deeps froze in the heart of the sea. The foe said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will bear my sword, my hand shall subdue, subdue them. You made your wind blow and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the majestic waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the celestials or the mighty? Who is like you, majestic and holy, awesome and splendor, working wonders? You put out your right hand. The earth swallowed them in your love. You led the people. You redeemed in your strength. You guide them to your holy abode. The peoples here, they tremble. Agony grips the dwellers in Philistia. Huh? There's the Philistines, right? Uh, now are the clans of Edom. Uh, dismayed. The tribes of Moab, trembling grips them. All the dwellers in Canaan are aghast. Terror and dread descend upon them. Through the might of your arm, they are still as stone. Still, 
your people cross over, O Lord, till your people cross whom you have ransomed. You will bring them and plant them in your own mountain, the place you made to dwell in, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands establish. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For the horses, a pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord turned back on them the waters of the sea. But the Israelites marched on dry ground in the midst of that sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her and danced with timbrels. And Miriam chanted for them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And I'll just stop right there for a second. Cool, huh? Well, my I was wondering, it says, then Moses and then Israelites sang this song to the Lord. So what was kind of the time frame? I mean, these people had to have learned this song. And I mean, did we just write it tonight and learn it tomorrow? And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a great question. Kind of. It comes from the heart. That's just right. The words flow. It just it just came right out. You see all those dead all bodies once, floating all, around. You're you're just happy. All six hundred thousand. You're just motivated to sing a song, and it just comes to you right then, like Diana said. Yeah, but all of them. Yeah, sure. Then all the words. They all the same. It's an Acts chapter two. But, did they did they sing it kind of like a chant, like? Moses or somebody sang a line and the rest of them sang the line? That's the idea. That's the idea. So obviously, the, the part that I want you all to catch here is this is written after the fact. Yeah. Right? The Levitical priests are saying, hey, this is that song that's in the Haganah that we all have to use every Sunday. And this is for Saturday. This is where it came from. And yes, Betty, it would probably have been more like a chant, and one person would say it, they would repeat it and go back and forth. Because, folks, by this point, the Psalms had already been written, too. I mean, think about it. Psalms were aspect of worship. They were used every week in, in, the, in, their, in, their, in their practices. So by this point, the Levitical priests are saying, this one is specific and only for Pesach. And it's in our Haggadah. And this is where it came from, because they were on the sin. And this, and they were just moved by the breath of God to have this. This is where those, because songs, that's where they come from, right? From the depths of your soul in, in, in involuntary moments. Well, isn't this part of storytelling where everybody gets to participate too? There it is. I mean, boom. This is the storytelling part. This is where everybody has a part of this. And we're all happy. And everybody's happy. We no tied a neat little bow in this story. Did you catch that? This is the bow. Yeah. And it even tells, I'm, it, I was thrown off by Marion. I mean, I know the start of it, but, you know, all through there, nothing. And then, oh, and by the way. Yep. Oh, does yours all say prophetess? It should, yes. It I should say, yeah. Yes, it's prophet. They took out the S. Oh, nice. Yeah. And you have the NIV, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. That, the NIV took out all those. Yeah. Well, because they, the NIV did a really great job in the translation because they wanted us to understand that it's not just that she's a prophetess, like a woman, like that makes her different, that she's an actual prophet. NIV did Which a we really never good heard before. That's right. right. Miriam is a prophet. She is not uh, just because she's a woman, she's something different. She is just as powerful as the book Isaiah. 
And that's what the NIV does. She's just Aaron's sister, not Moses' sister. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> she's not Moses' sister. She is. Yeah, she, she is. is. She is. <laughs> they just decided not to add that in there. Moses has to be set apart, right? He becomes the Mashiach of the story. He's, he's the superhero. He's the only one that can cause all these things to happen. Aaron speaks for him, but Moses is the one that does all the acts of God. So they've got to separate him from his sister and his brother. Does he still stutter? Well, that's the assumption. <laughs> yeah, that's the assumption. And so that, and, and it, yeah, that would just say that would be the assumption. So it's a, it's an interesting story. I love, I love the language. I love how it goes. It's, it's fun to, I remember us having to translate this in seminary and uh, it's, it's even more beautiful in Hebrew. Um, I, I just love, I love the language once you kind of get the idea of how it goes. It's fun. Um, and so the language is not that far removed from the, the translation. So it's, it's nice. Um, so we've established Miriam as a prophet in the story. We've established an aspect of worship that's in the Haggadah. That they practice at Pesach. There's a, um, listen to the language there, you know, about God being the right hand, the right hand, the right hand. You know, this is, what is it that we do as Christians? We extend the right, right, right hand of Christian fellowship. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a big deal. There's, there's some establishment stuff happening here. Uh, my favorite part, of course, is verse 17, 18. You'll bring them plant, you'll bring them and plant them in your own mountain, the place you made them to dwell, oh Lord, the sanctuary. You know, that, that's, uh, Obviously, you know, that's one of my favorite words in, in uh, Christendom because that's what we do. That's what we provide, <clears throat> in my opinion. I wonder how they knew they were going to a mountain. Uh, I mean, obviously, just... written later. <laughs> they know, they know where the temple right. is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've already, they already know where everything's going to be. <laughs> well, we got to get to this part. So. I thought maybe they could see the mountains, you know. how? No, there's definitely, I have no idea. When you get to a certain point in Kansas, you can start kind of seeing the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, it's it like four it. days yeah. before you get there. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, now, I, I do have to say this. One of the things that we, we tend to forget is it's not really desert. It's, it's, it's very mountainous, hilly looking. It looks a lot more like Lawton than it does anywhere else in the world I've been. I mean, you know, you get yeah. to the Geronimo yeah. Cliffs, there's, there's, Mountains and ranges and valleys and canyons. And it reminds me of that so much, I can't even begin to tell you. Or Arizona, for that matter. Uh, like, it's just, it looks more like that, but it's not all sand. Like, there is sand, but not, not like we would think it would be. So, for them, mountains are something that they definitely would have. I mean, what is it, Mount Gorib, off to the east, has snow all year round. Like, it's, it's crazy. You wouldn't even think about that at that time. That, that that's the way it is um, but yeah they, they know that they, they're seeing mountains we're heading in that direction and mountains are not necessarily a good thing for them right that means we got to travel over it right all of us look at that and go oh man that's crazy which also then goes back to that even when jesus says i if you had faith the size of a mustard seed you could move that mountain like that 
take the obstacles out of your way. Like this is a big deal. So uh, I'm going to just finish chapter 15. So for the recording, and then and then we'll start at 16 on the dot. So then Moses caused Israel to set out from the Sea of Reeds. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur. They traveled three days in the wilderness, found no water. They came to Marah, but they had no. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. Does that sound familiar? It's the same name as Aurora, bitter herbs from the right? So, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There he made for them a fixed rule, and there he put them to the test. He said, If you will heed the Lord your God diligently, doing what is upright in his sight, giving ear to his commandments, and keeping all of his laws, which we have not established yet, <laughs> then I will uh, not bring upon you any of these diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. And they came to Elam, where they, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there beside the water. There ends the reading of Exodus chapter fifteen. So and say all happy. And they all ended up happy. Twelve, day, 12 springs and, and 70 palm trees weren't going to handle 600,000. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So uh, we'll, we'll pick up here where we left off. Uh, the complaints are just the beginning. Yes, uh, and, 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 and they uh, uh, even when they get sweet water, they're going to complain. And um, so it's a it's an interesting way to end the, the story of them leaving Egypt and going on the wilderness journey, which is going to be interesting to say the least. So we'll just stop there. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. <laughs>